Hey, hey. Well, what a cool week. A drastic, hey? There's nothing that makes my heart happier and messes me up more than seeing youth and kids touched by the presence of God and absolutely alive and on fire. Like, that's the best. Um, more of that. So if you have a Bible there, if you want to crack it open to Isaiah chapter 40, and I will go there in a couple of minutes' time. Um, Deb says hi again. She's in there somewhere. Hey, babe. Um, yeah, yeah, she got a fourth thing. Um, this one was courtesy of Daniel. Uh, where, where did he go? He went boom. Daniel's been raptured. Um, um, <laughs> Yeah, so pray for Deb's immune system if you could because she is thoroughly over. She is thoroughly sick of being sick. Um, she doesn't like being, you know, she was let out two weeks ago and was like, yeah. And for a good few days, she was doing really good. Actually, for a week, she was doing really good. It's like, yeah, she's back, baby. Come on. And, and then, um, so yeah, she is, she is at home resting. It's her birthday this week if you want to send her some cash or a present or something. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> or just some love would be, would be sufficient. Um, James Moulton, who is also... What's that? He just wants the money, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are married. Your birthday's next Sunday? Yeah. Happy birthday for next Sunday, seeing we won't be together. And your dad turns 40 this week, and he's in there as well somewhere because he is also under the weather in some kind of way because and James would have to be feeling unwell to not be here I know James he's he hurt his back he's just not good so anyway healing on you James and bless you he turns big 4-0 this week so send him some cash too um, I'm sure he would love that and be thoroughly embarrassed that I would even suggest that um And it's also the last week of school holidays. Who goes back to school tomorrow? Students and teachers alike. Yeah, Jesus, help them. Help them, Jesus, help them. Help me pass my assessments. Yes, help you pass your assessments. That would be good because, you know, if you don't, you have to do it all over again, right? Yeah, that's not cool. Yes, help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus. All right. So Isaiah chapter 40, if you want to go there, and like I said, I'll, I'll join you there in a sec. Um, I want you to imagine, and don't imagine too hard, because what I'm, the, the, this, you, you'll see in a moment. So don't imagine too hard, but I want you to envisage this situation. There is a criminal loose in your neighbourhood. And if this criminal, um, if this criminal gets into your house, it's not going to be good for you. So... No matter what you do, this criminal could get in. No matter how careful you are, no matter how much you lock the doors, this criminal could get in. And if the criminal does get in, he could kill you, he could harm you, he could put you out of action for some time. But he's also in your neighbourhood, so you never quite know. If you go out, he could get you. If you go to the shops, he could get you. And if he gets you, he could follow you home and then get your family. Now, and I want you to imagine this scenario going on for about six months. 
where you are constantly in this state that this thing could get you, this person could get you. And if they did, it could be anywhere from really unpleasant to it actually could take you out or take out someone you love. What would that be like to live with that for... for So you can imagine, what, what, what would that be like before we go? What, what would that be like? Would that be a traumatic experience to live like that for like six months? You would be living in anxiety. And then let, let's say that after six months of that, when you're in constant like, you know, um, once, let's say the guy's caught, he's locked away, he's never coming back. After six months of that, do you reckon it would still have an impact on you. Yeah? Yeah, I reckon it would. I reckon that would have quite an impact on you. Now, Jonathan obviously made the connection as to where I was going here is during COVID, and it was longer than six months, where we were in this situation, but particularly in the early days, we were in this situation where we had this invisible enemy out there and for a time we didn't have a clue what this meant. None of us had been through this before. Our governments, our doctors, our hospitals hadn't been through this before. And all we hear on the news is people are dropping dead in the streets and all all of this stuff is happening. Now, we're largely through the other side on the whole. You know, it's still floating around, but it doesn't seem to be as dangerous as as it used to be, although for some it can be. But do you reckon that is potentially still having an effect just like the potential of the criminal lurking around our neighbourhood. And in many ways, okay, it's a sneaky criminal, but at least you can kind of see when they show up and maybe put up a fight. But this thing was different. It was like we're fighting this invisible enemy that could show up anywhere. Do you think that's traumatising at all? Yet, because every single one of us went through it and we're all in the same boat... We don't kind of think, well, you're traumatized. Well, I'm traumatized. Like, we're all in the same boat. And so we're all suffering the effects of the same thing. But because everyone's doing it, it's quite, we feel like this is normal. You getting my drift here? Now, last week, Deb talked about, last two, two Sundays ago, um, Deb talked about this disengagement thing. And if you, were, if you weren't here, by the way, um, and I know there are a number of you away on school holidays, if you weren't here, can I please encourage you either watch the video back on Facebook or get the podcast because um, that was a really significant strategic word for us that she bought. And it's had a flow through from all the bits that I've been doing before that to what she did. And then um, what I'm going to do today is kind of trying to bring it all together. And I keep thinking I'm bringing this concept into land and then there's another piece of the puzzle. Um, one of the things when, if you weren't there, Deb got woken up in the middle of the night by God and God just said to her, and yeah, in the middle of the night, she's like, can't we have this conversation during daylight? Um, please, <laughs> but apparently not. Um, and God said, disengagement has to go. And Deb spoke into that. I'm not gonna kind of redo that whole thing. Um, but one of the things as we prayed into it, we felt but this, is that this disengagement is actually dissociation. Okay, it's not just, and disengagement and dissociation are two different things. Um, dissociation is a response to trauma that basically says I shut stuff out. 
you know, I disconnect from it so that I don't experience from it. It's a self-protective mechanism that all of us have the ability to do, some more than others, um, in order to protect ourselves from pain. And so what we discovered, this, 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 we've been feeling this disengagement in the spirit where, you know, it's easy to love each other, but to get breakthrough and to build has been like ploughing cement over the last few months. Um, and we actually ran into uh, some pastor friends of ours in the city by accident um, in Monday during the school holidays. Yeah, we, we decided to take a quick wander in the, into the Queen Victoria building and um, we ran into them and, and this particular friend of ours is, is really, really prophetic and so we were quick run into them. What are you feeling? What are you experiencing at the moment? She said, it is just weird on wheels right now. Um, like... I did say I was going to use that. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't meaning to use it as a quote. I just, like, I thought I'd just use that as a saying, but now I've used it as a quote. You know it's not mine. Um, but it is just, in spirit, it has been, it's seemingly been really, really hard to break through. And once I, I kind of got this idea that this disengagement that we are feeling is actually dissociation and a trauma response, I've been praying into that some more and going, okay, God, what do you want to do there? So what I want to do is bring together all the stuff that Deb did last week and the bits that we've been talking about on the spirit of Elijah, which were the two all-in Sundays prior to Deb. So, and again, if you've missed any of those, can I please encourage you to get a hold of the podcast or watch the video back on Facebook so that you get the, kind of, the whole flow through of this because it's all important. Um, see, we... <laughs> As we gather, we're not just here to have kind of a spiritual experience, you know, consumer style and go, oh, that was a nice experience and wander away. We're actually here to take ground together. We're actually commissioned as an army together where we're meant to take ground together in a way that impacts our city and makes it easy for people to get saved, healed, delivered, set free in this region, not just in this building. That's what we're meant to do and that's something that we're meant to do together. Um, the couple of weeks before that, I talked about the spirit of Elijah um, being the precursor to the ministry of Jesus. And I want to pick up that a little bit. And I said, go to Isaiah 40. Now I'm going to read this and kind of bring together another step in the sequence. Interestingly, Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 chapters. The old, that's what I meant. Sorry, books. So, so the Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Old Testament is 39 books long. The New Testament's 27 books long. In the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters are, if you like, the desolation, the, you know, the judgments, the, the Babylonians, the, all of this. And then we hit Isaiah 40 and it's like the tone for the last 26 chapters of Isaiah completely changes. And, we, and this is where we start pulling out these amazing promises that you hear um, from Isaiah the prophet. And this is where it begins. So Isaiah 40, it says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. Now, um, when we read Jerusalem, don't just put this off as a time back there. So when God speaks prophetically using a city, he is not only speaking to that city, but he's speaking beyond that. So Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel, which was the heart of God's covenant people. So in terms of this speaking to us today, God is speaking to the heart of his covenant people, and that's us. And he's saying... Comfort my people. 
speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Um, When it says double for all of her sins, um, the way the language is there, it could be ambiguous because it could be like double punishment for your sins or it could be like double blessing instead of. And if you look at the context... Um, if it says that your iniquity has been pardoned, I, would, I think the context tells us double for your sins is like double for your trouble. Whatever the enemy has stolen, whatever has been ripped off from you, God's gonna give you back double. Interestingly, Deb said two weeks ago that God spoke to her about this concept of double spring and double portion and he's restoring God's people to the double portion, which is more than enough. A portion is sufficiency, double portion is more than enough. Um, and right here, you know, I felt led to Isaiah chapter 40 for reasons I didn't fully understand until last night. But there it is, right in terms of what Deb spoke about last week. Now, the context that it's speaking of in Isaiah 40, it says, her warfare has ended. In other words, he's speaking to a people who have been through a tumultuous time where outside of them, things have been chaotic and crazy and threatening. So he's speaking to an external circumstance and he's also speaking to an internal circumstance, which is their iniquity has been pardoned. Now, iniquity is often a word that is used, um, what's the word? Alternatively, um, alternatingly, what's the Alternatively, it's interchangeably. That's the word I'm looking for, interchangeably. That's five syllables. Did you, that's pretty good for Sunday afternoon. Interchangeably with sin. So we think of iniquity as, as a bad thing, but iniquity actually means a disposition towards sin. And it's usually, when we talk about an iniquity, it's something that's often inherited through the generational lines. And so I have a disposition towards a particular kind of sin. That's essentially what iniquity is. So it's more than just what I do. It's my whole bent towards doing that stuff. And so God is speaking to the, you've been through a horrendous external circumstance, but you've also been battling externally, sorry, and then you've also been battling stuff on the inside. And he says, comfort my people. I'm going to unpack the words in terms of what those, um, what those mean in just a second. But right after that, right after the double for her sins, and this, this is what got me. The next verse, verse three, it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill will be low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places made smooth. For those of you who have read the Bible a few times, do those verses sound at all familiar? Where do they, where, what do they speak of? Whose ministry? Obviously, preparing the way of the Lord is Jesus, but whose ministry is it? It's the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, if you were here four weeks ago when I spoke on the spirit of Elijah, what spirit did John the Baptist come in? He came in the spirit of Elijah. So Isaiah 40 starts with, comfort my people. It then moves into the description of the ministry of John the Baptist, which prepared the way of the Lord, which was essentially the spirit of Elijah. It says, in the last days, 
I will send Elijah the prophet. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers, and he will prepare the way of the Lord. And we talked about this sequence where we said, we looked at the ministry of Jesus in Luke 4 and Isaiah 61 and our commission that we have been sent to heal the brokenhearted. That's straight out of the heart of Isaiah 61. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And then we saw that the precursor to that, the ministry that comes before the ministry of Jesus is the ministry of the spirit of Elijah, which turns the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. In other words, there is a family and a relational thing. And we have been pursuing this this, um, motif, this paradigm of what we're doing is not about events and moments and, you know, come to a church service and come to this event. It's about being spiritual mums and dads, mothers and fathers who are raising up sons and daughters in the kingdom. That's a very different motif to what a lot of the Western world has been used to, where we just come, we do a service, we attend events, we have our own spiritual journey. Whereas this is a very different thing of of this mothering and fathering anointing. And what we talked about a couple of times ago was the spirit of Elijah comes first. So as we pursue relational wholeness and help the world move into relational wholeness and heart connectedness that opens the way for the ministry of Jesus. See, we often think if they get saved, then their hearts will get healed and so on we go. What this tells us is actually quite the opposite. If we pursue the healing of their hearts, they'll meet Jesus. That was the key, the, the key kind of turnaround. Like I said, if you, if you weren't here for those couple of times I spoke on that, it's on the podcast and it's, and it's on Facebook. So we have the ministry of Jesus. What came before that was the spirit of Elijah. And here is the next bit. What we see in Isaiah 40, right before the spirit of Elijah is, comfort my people. Comfort my people. Now, why comfort? Comfort is the answer to trauma. What do people need when they've been traumatised? They need comfort. It's actually comfort that helps people to heal. Um, Psychologists have taught us that when someone goes through a really difficult trauma, there's a 72-hour window after that trauma where if the person receives significant comfort and support during that first 72 hours, the trauma doesn't stick and doesn't tend to impact them ongoing. It remains a momentary thing. Yes, they remember it, but it's not like, doesn't become this disabling trauma. Comfort is the answer to trauma. And if you look at, um, I want to read this to you in the Passion translation. I love it. So again, Isaiah 40, it says, Your God says to you, comfort, comfort my people with gentle, compassionate words. Speak tenderly, from the, from the heart to revive those in Jerusalem. So where it says speak tenderly to the heart, the, the word there, or sorry, where it says speak comfort, the word there is essentially, literally, speak to the heart in order to revive it. It's actually really amazing, stunning, beautiful language. Speak to the heart in order to revive it. 
So I want, I want to just keep this in mind. The answer to trauma is comfort. God's speaking, comfort, comfort my people. Now, let's go back to the COVID impact for a moment. When, um, when I'm doing my business thing, um, I, I work with leaders at all varying different levels of organisations. And one of the things that we, we teach and train people in is how to manage people who are in the process of change. And there is a model that we use a lot by a neuroscientist called David Rock. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him in anything that you've come across. And if you haven't, don't worry. You could Google him and you could find a whole lot of his stuff. Um, through his research, and his research actually involves sticking people in real time into an MRI, what we call a functional MRI, where they get to read in real time, like they get to give you a stimulus and they can see what area of the brain lights up like a Christmas tree under a particular stimulus. It's essentially how we've learned what regions of the brain do what. Interesting thing that they found out in the process of this, and, what, and this wasn't just his research, was that when a person experiences social pain like rejection, it's the same area of the brain that lights up as if we've experienced physical pain. So from your brain's perspective, your brain protects you from social pain as much as it does physical pain. Then what he discovered was there are five areas and it's a model called SCARF, S-C-A-R-F, five areas that will cause a threat response in our brain. Now, when we get a threat response in our brain, what happens? What do we go into? Fight or flight. Okay, good. So when we go into fight or flight, our amygdala, which is the threat center of our brain, lights up like a Christmas tree under functional MRI, and we are either... If you imagine it's designed for, I'm out hunting for food, a large bear appears in front of me, it's got a bib on, it's got a knife and fork and it's looking at me. At that point in time, my brain does not want me going, geez, I wonder what kind of bear that is. It's an interesting brown because I'm going to be lunch. It's trying to help us survive. So it puts me into a threat state where I either tear the bear apart or run like hell away from the bear. That's what fight or flight is designed for. Now, what his research discovered, and it's something that we've known, is it's not just bears that put us into fight or flight. There are certain relational triggers that put us into, or social triggers, sorry, for want of a better word, that put us into fight or flight. So there's five. So S stands for status. In other words, if I perceive a change lowers my perceived um, level in the pecking order, I get a threat response in my brain. There's another one called certainty. When I can't, if you like, control, if I don't know what's going to happen next, my brain rigors, rigors, registers a threat response, largely because if something unknown's coming, I need to be on alert to know whether this is a good or a bad thing. All designed to keep you alive. Um, a is autonomy. Now, can I borrow you for a second, John? Okay. So if I was to... Um, let me do, I'm just illustrating autonomy. Now, the giving and receiving of air is fairly important to you, yeah? Sometimes. You like, to, you like to control that yourself. So if I start to put my hands around his throat, I'm doing it very gently. I'm not actually really squeezing it. Yeah, you're faking that, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if I start controlling his giving and receiving of air, not only is a physical thing going on, but that's hitting an autonomy trigger because all of us want to self-direct in certain areas of our life. 
Thank you. You can be seated and unchoked in Jesus' name. Oh, my, I've got a tail. Um, I don't know what to do with that. Um, <laughs> just wag my tail. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. That's, that's very, very helpful. Um, that's autonomy. So this is, if any of you have been in a workplace where you've had the, 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 the poop micromanaged out of you, that's the autonomy trigger that makes that feel so miserable. I can't self-direct. I can't make my own choices. Um, R is relatedness, which is if I perceive that some change affects my connection with others, then it registers a threat response. Now, if you think of COVID for a moment, we were all completely isolated. And if we did see each other, we couldn't hug each other. We couldn't comfort each other in the middle of this random dude wandering around our neighbourhood seeking to kill us. We were told we're not even allowed to shake hands. We're not allowed to hug each other. So that relatedness trigger was going right off during COVID. Um, and a lot of my business stuff started to happen online. And what I found is I was coming across a lot of men in particular, not exclusively, but a lot of men who were suffering a lot of anxiety and depression because their primary relational contacts happened through work and they were completely isolated. And um, isolation physically is as bad for you as smoking, if not worse. There's research on that one that I don't have time to go into. And then the last one is fairness. When I perceive something's unfair, teenagers, how many of you are here? How many of you have felt like something you've been thrown at by your parents is not fair? <laughs> That's the fairness trigger. We all have this. Not fair. Ah, oh, okay. Parents, do you feel like anything you've been thrown at from your teenager is not fair? Okay, spouses, let's go, let's go. <laughs> There's a fight breaking out right here. Love it, love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Madeline was beating you guys up and winning. Yeah, it was very cool. I mean, anyway. <laughs> um, so let me just read a couple, a couple of paragraphs out of this particular article that talked about... Um, that talked about a couple of those triggers in relation to the COVID pandemic. And I think I've said to you, maybe even said it a couple of weeks ago, as I've been out in the business world, one of the things I found is most of the Western world is suffering at least a low level form of PTSD right now. Um, but because everybody has it, no one recognises that they've got it, but are suffering the effects of it. But because we all have it, we just think it's normal. But it's anything but normal. A random dude has been wandering around our neighbourhood trying to kill us for a really extended period of time. And sure, he might have had his butt kicked a little bit now, but like you said, right at the beginning, the effects remain for an experience like that. So, this is what David Rock says about COVID. This prolonged period of psychological pain came from three deep psychological needs not being met. First, our need for certainty was thrown off track. Our lives are built on patterns we count on, like where our clothes hang, where we eat breakfast, how we get, the way we get to the office. Studies show that even ordinary boring certainties activate reward networks in the brain, whereas mild ambiguities, uncertainties or contradictions, um, can activate strong threat responses using networks similar to those triggered by physical pain. The absence of reliable patterns means it literally hurts when we're not able to think more than a few days ahead. 
Now think about what we've been through for nearly three years. Where, I mean, just on a, on, a, on a big picture level for us, we had a family camp, it was on, it was off. We've had church, it's on, it's off. Um, we've had home groups and hubs, on, off. On, like, it's, it's like, well, let's just get to the day and see. Now, for me, who, for whom no two days are ever the same and variety is fun, that wasn't so bad, except when you're trying to build momentum, it's really darn annoying. Um, but for others of you, for whom certainty is, is a, a part of how you're wired, that is significant. The second psychological need that wasn't being met was our need for or desire for autonomy, which is that need to, self, to be able to self-direct, which plummeted with every new confusing piece of information about the virus. For a long time, we didn't know whether masks made a difference, whether to let our mail to sit for 48 hours before opening it. Yeah. Like, quite seriously, we're thinking, could that piece of mail kill me? Yeah. I'm not kidding, right? <laughs> In the early days, we did not know this. I don't know if you remember, it, COVID actually got into New Zealand on a package that came from overseas. <laughs> we think, anyway. That, that, that was the story. So is my male about to jump out and kill me? I don't know. This is what we were going through. And it's kind of become, yeah, blah, now. But I just, I want to remind us of what this was like. Um, in case you missed it, was I said it went viral. It was, it was quite a dad joke, which I do appreciate the effort. Thank you, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Took you a little while. All right. Speaking of control, I feel like I'm losing it right now. Um, <laughs> so, um, so we didn't know whether to let our mail to sit for 48 hours before opening it or whether going to buy groceries was banal or potentially life-threatening. As humans, we, we crave control, so this reduced feeling of having a say in the outcome further triggered us. In other words, we didn't know whether that was okay, but then we had no say in whether we could go out or not. There's the autonomy piece. Finally, there was our desire for connectedness with others, our normal go-to when things get tough. Our connectedness with others was wrenched away with lockdowns, gone with consoling hugs, the warmth of a friend's touch, the ability to even just be around others. Instead, we had the pain of isolation, which studies show can be even more debilitating to our health than smoking. So... Do you get the idea when your brain is constantly in a threat state and particularly when that autonomy thing is threatened, pain, discomfort, unpleasantness mixed with powerlessness is essentially the breeding ground of trauma. Does that make sense? Now, not only did that happen, so that, that, was, that, was, that was the impact, if you like, from a trauma perspective but then if you think of, um, if I, and he actually uses this as an analogy, the author, he, he had twisted his ankle while running and had to be not running for quite some time. Now, once the joint had healed, what he discovered when he tried to run again was all the muscles that surround that had atrophied to a level where, you know, it just didn't have the strength to hold the thing together anymore. And... Um, is it that one? Here it is. So, after nearly two years of working from home, many of our social skills have started to atrophy. Some of us have forgotten how to be civil in public, toilet paper, um, how to be in a meeting in the same room or how to manage normal workplace stress on top of all of our other emotions. In other words, there were muscles that we were using every single day 
that we stopped using for two and a half years. And so we're going out into the world with a strength that we used to have that we don't have anymore because those muscles haven't been used. And so it seems a whole lot harder and a whole lot more exhausting. I bet you find this every single day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm, yeah. We're, sorry, where you work and with the people. <laughs> sorry, not, <laughs> we're, with the staff that you employ. But no, no, sorry, Viv and Michelle work in the same area. Oh man, I'm going downhill in a big hurry right now. Um, Now, last thing from this article. Um, It's easy in times of recovery and isolation to become so introspective that we forget others are struggling with recovery too. Research shows that compassion doesn't just help be patient with ourselves, it also increases our ability to be patient with others who may also be struggling. So, you know, in the middle of it, when the most basic things in our life are under threat, like our life... That need to belong, that need to, to, to connect becomes subservient to, I just need to survive. And which is what explains the whole toilet paper phenomenon. <laughs> you know, it's a fairly basic need. Um, like, you get in your way of me wiping my backside, man, you are going down, right? Leave it alone, leave it alone. I'm working hard to leave it alone myself. Okay. So, I wanted to give you that to show you that not only do we know this from experience, but really, really smart people that research this stuff are telling us that the world has been in an elevated threat state, which which means an elevated trauma state for a couple of years, and because we're all going through it, we actually forget that we're all a little bit traumatised. And we look to the person, they go, oh, they're the same as me, well, I'm okay. But when we're all going through the same stuff, like when everyone's walking around with one arm, you think that's normal. Until you meet someone with two arms and go, huh? <laughs> So the trauma of this, I wanna, I wanna suggest, you know, we, we tend to underplay it, but this disengagement or this dissociation that we've been feeling is directly a trauma response. Now, when we've been traumatised, the answer to trauma is comfort. But what happens when, Trump, when, when comfort trumps the comforter? In other words, what happens when comfort becomes our goal outside of connection to the comforter who is the Holy Spirit? So when we turn to other things as our comfort, comfort becomes our highest goal. Netflix, social media scrolling, just distracting ourselves. Um, Alcohol, pornography, drugs. And it might not be the hardcore stuff. It might just be smoking, vaping, all of that stuff, which is pandemic among um, young people at the moment. All of this stuff is a false comfort. But when we've never really learned how to experientially receive from the comforter, we kind of feel like that's all we've got to go to. But then when we go to that, we actually anesthetize ourselves from the comforter. 
because it's like that needs been met. I can't, and so that that's done. And I actually trade the real deal for a counterfeit. And in the process, I remain disengaged, dissociated, and anaesthetized to his presence. And then we come together in spirit and kind of feel like, ah, it's disengaged, it's disengaged. It's because we're all flipping anaesthetized. Because we haven't realized we're actually in a degree of trauma. And we've forgotten that in trauma we have a comforter. Who actually wants to comfort his people. In... um, in Isaiah 61, the word for brokenhearted, when it says you, to heal the brokenhearted, the word there is the, is the sense of broken and splintered as a result of a, of a thud impact. And as a result, it's splintered into pieces. And that was kind of like what happened to us, but because it happened to the whole world, we don't go... If, that just hap- if what we described in COVID happened to one person you'd probably be going, yeah, I think I need to see someone and talk that through. But because it happened to all of us, we just kind of write it off and go, well, it happened to us all. Well, you know. Actually, no, God cares about this stuff. He cares. And, you know, add that to families that were locked down together. um, And, you know, that sort of thing amplifies whatever's going on. If there's dysfunction going on, it'll amplify it. You know, if the family's really connected, it'll amplify it. Um, And for a lot of people out there, it amplified the dysfunction. I want to suggest at the heart of this dissociation is comfort has become the idol of the West. And the church is no different. Comfort has become our idol. And so anything that's put in front of us that feels uncomfortable, that feels like it's pulling on muscles that we haven't used for a while, we're like, there's this innate resistance to say, no, no, check out, no, stay, stay away. So the root of this dissociation is trauma and I haven't learned to find comfort in him. I've found comfort in something else other than him. And an idol is anything you consult before you do the will of God. So God puts something in front of you and you go, ooh, that will be uncomfortable. Idol exposed. But what he wants to do is not rebuke, not kick our butts, but actually comfort us. Because we've been traumatized by a random dude running around our neighborhood trying to kill us for a really long time. So what we see is this sequence where we see the ministry of Jesus which we have been sent to heal the brokenhearted. We saw that before the ministry of Jesus comes the spirit of Elijah, which goes after relational brokenness. In other words, if we heal families and heal the hearts of people, they'll actually come into the ministry of Jesus, not the other way around. 
But then before we go and heal the brokenhearted, God wants to comfort his people. He wants to lift the trauma off his people and speak tenderly to our hearts to revive them, to bring them back to life. And from there, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, praise be to the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can then comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's the sequence of how we become a healing place. We receive comfort from God. And when we receive his comfort, I remember Graham Cook saying, the comfort of the Lord is so good, it's almost worth being depressed in order to get it. (laughs) He's that good at what he does. And his comfort trumps anything else that we can attempt to anesthetize ourselves. I was away this week um, up in Brisbane running a leadership program for a whole bunch of leaders in the mining industry. And um, I don't know if you know anything about the mining industry, they're not necessarily known for being really soft and tender-hearted um, all the time. They're known for their robust language and a lot of things, <laughs> which I won't unpack now with young people in the room. They're known for an awful lot of things. Um, what I found was, was a group of really amazing, skillful, smart people. And they were there for, a le- this was the second module of a, of a second of two days, sorry, the second two-day program in a two-module program. So I'd had them a couple of weeks before and then I had them again this week. And we spend a lot of time digging into this whole area of psychological safety. And that is the idea of relationally, we eliminate threat from the environment where you feel like you can speak up, you can ask for help, you can be yourself without the environment in any way punishing you or using it against you. And in the course of that, we created this amazing safe place. So 15 leaders, and you know, by the end of the second day, it was just like everyone had lost all of the, you know, the, the bravado, the egos, And we're just honest and open. And at the end, I go around and and just have a chance for everybody to share and say, you know, how the program impacted them. And I give them a little formula to do that. At the end, there's this guy. He would be somewhere mid to late 50s, um, been in mining his whole life, um, you know, kind of really pragmatic, engineering type, fairly rough around the edges. He pranked me pretty good on check-in, but that's a story asked me later. It was very funny. Um, But he's just, you know, this earthy, rough kind of guy. And he was the first one to share. And, I, and so I said, you know, ha, tell us, how, how's this impacted you? And I give him a full, you know, as I reflect on this program, I feel, and they have to name some kind of emotion, which is a stretch for some, um, I was most impacted by, and here's what I'm going to do next. And he sat there, and he, he was first cab off the rank, and just said, I feel, I feel changed. I feel different on the inside. I feel like like this has impacted me in more ways than I can possibly say. Um, And, you know, he went through, you know, he described that a little bit and talked about some of the things that he was going to do. And as he finished, his eyes were just welling up with tears. And I'm like, gotcha. 
such is the power of, pre, of creating a place that is safe where we comfort each other. Because a few weeks before we'd been together, and this is you know, the leadership program where I unpack everyone's childhood stuff and you know, we all get it out on the surface. And, and numerous people in the group put their, you know, their significant fears out there on the table. You know, one of them said, I suffer horrendous social anxiety. Uh, and you know, he put this out in front of a group of 15 people that he hadn't met until the day that he arrived. Um, and he said, I'm literally shaking right now as I'm telling you, but I know I need to face this. Um, and I was there to kind of obviously help facilitate that and, and draw that out. And he, he had an amazing experience of unconditional love. Now, they don't know that they're experiencing Jesus when they're experiencing unconditional love, but essentially that's where we're taking them. Um, and then, you know, after that, the next one, and then the next one, and they just start to open their hearts. And all of a sudden, these people who are normally rough as guts actually start comforting and championing each other and saying, man, that was so courageous. Thank you so much. And, you know, others saying, I'm really sorry that you went through what you went through. That's really horrible. They're actually just, they're starting to comfort each other. And this is in an environment where... There was no, let's turn to, you know, Luke chapter 4 and talk about healing the brokenhearted. There was no, you know, overt God, Jesus reference. It was just a safe place. And people start getting healed and they start engaging and they start saying, you know, he said, you know, this will change the way that I relate to my family. And another guy, more senior guy over here said, um, I need to go and change some of the, th the ways that I relate to my wife. It's not bad, like there's nothing, you know, he actually really adored his wife, but he said, I think I've been putting work first and her second and I just need to tell everyone and I want to be accountable that I want to, you know, I really want to put her first. Like this, this is these bunch of mining that speak fluent, you know, <laughs> insert the word here, who are all of a sudden getting their hearts undone and unpacked and are starting to get healed. Imagine when we can overtly bring Jesus into that place, what can happen for us? So I want us to stop right now and just take a couple of minutes to minister to our traumatised hearts. And whether we know it or not, one of the biggest things is when we don't know we're traumatised, we don't realise we're going to a whole lot of other things. We just kind of feel like, oh, maybe I'm in a bit of a dry season. You know, I'm just not feeling as connected as I did to God, you know, a couple of years ago. That's a trauma response. So what I'd like you to do right now is just, just drop into a, a, a receiving kind of place. And I want to take some time to first identify the, the, the trauma, the pain, the, the, I want to identify the pain, the pain place. We want to invite Jesus into that and then imbibe his presence in that place. So three eyes. We want to invite, invite, imbibe. And I'm giving you a little clue here as we practice it here. This is, what, this is the process that you can do um, to, to bring your heart into the presence of God. Cal, I'm going to jump over onto the piano while we do this. So I'm just going to ask Jesus to come. I know he's already here, but I'm just going to ask him to increase his manifest presence amongst us right now. Jesus, we just say you are the healer. Holy Spirit, you are the comforter.
we just invite you right now to come and rest heavily upon us. Jesus, in your name, I speak to every heart that's in this room right now. And I say, you're in a safe place. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation here. We speak to every heart and we just say, your voice is welcome right now. I'm going to pray something right now. And it's essentially repenting to my own heart. Because what we often do in times like this is we kind of, when we anesthetize, we're essentially saying to our heart, hey, shush, I don't want to hear from you. You're too difficult to deal with. And I don't know if any of you have ever felt like that person where people are saying, shush, you're too difficult to deal with, don't speak. It's not a really happy place to be. But for a lot of us, that's where we put our heart, in that place of like, shush, you're too hard to deal with. And in doing that, we disconnect ourselves from our own heart. And so I'm going to pray a prayer right now around that. So if that resonates with you, um, just, you know, in your heart, join along with me. Jesus, in your name, I recognise that I've shut down my own heart. I've pushed it to the side and said, your voice doesn't matter. And in doing so, I've left a part of me that's been traumatised under constant threat state. And I've essentially said, your voice doesn't matter. Put your pain in a box and keep it away from me. And in doing so, I've traumatised myself even further. So Father, I repent of that now. I repent to you, but I also repent to my heart. I want to say, I'm sorry that I've treated you like that. I want to say your voice is welcome right now. I want to hear from you. This is a safe place. Jesus is here with us. And he already paid the price for everything that you experienced. And as I've been talking today, talking about some of the false comforts, I feel like for some of you, some things kind of went ping and went, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been turning to some other stuff. I've been anesthetizing rather than coming into the comforter's presence. And in doing so, I've essentially made comfort my idol. So, Father, right now, we break down that idol. break down that idol we open our heart to you as our comforter 
Father, you said you wouldn't leave us as orphans, but you would send the comforter. So we open our hearts to your comfort, Father. I want you to just take a moment. It doesn't have to take long. Just to recognise anywhere where your heart has been in pain and and traumatised. Maybe you say, look, I just feel flat. That, that flat feel is just the result of continued day in, day out, protecting myself to the point where I don't feel like I can feel in the same way that I used to be able to. I've become numb. So Jesus, we give you that, that flatness. just ask you to show us what's underneath that because often underneath that blur that flatness is a whole lot of vulnerable stuff so just take a moment to identify what is that place What has been happening in your heart? used to going, I have to push my stuff aside so I can meet with Jesus. Quite the opposite is true. Jesus, can you come and meet me in the middle of it? Come and meet me in the middle of it. And then in that place, just drink in his presence.
just open our hearts and our spirits to receive those words of comfort. Zephaniah chapter 3 says that He rejoices over you with singing. And He dances over you like a madman. trying to strategize to work stuff out and for some of you you're, leaving, you're losing sleep at night because you're trying to work stuff out and you're trying to think things through that's a trauma response so God would you draw the trauma off that threat center of our brain draw that trauma off our amygdala draw it like a magnet to the cross and God replace it with the shalom the peace, the comfort of heaven. Now just give our minds permission to rest. Permission to switch off. For those of you that really carry stress and tension in your shoulders and it's like it's been worse over the last while, God, we just ask that you would draw that tension out, draw that trauma out like a our hearts. Maybe you've even had elevated blood pressure since then. Again, it's a trauma response. Father, we just ask that you would draw the trauma out of our hearts, literal and metaphorical. Draw it like a magnet to the cross. Replace it with the shalom of heaven. Yeah. Just every 
part of our spirit, soul, and body. God, would you draw it to the cross, draw the trauma. whether it's pandemic residual or whether it's just the normal stuff that our workplace or family or whatever throws at us. God, I just release to us a brand new awareness of your presence right there with us. You said you would never leave us and you would never forsake us. Increase our awareness of that. God, I bless our spirits to rise up and to be prominent over our soul and our body so that we can be so aware of your presence day in, day out. In Jesus' name. Father, everything that you have done in our midst here tonight, whether it be in worship, whether it be from the past, the week that's been at camp, whether it's been what you've just done now, God, we seal in Jesus' name everything that you have done. Every seed of your kingdom that's been planted, we bless and say, may it grow, may it grow, may it bear much fruit. And Father, may those around us look at us and go, man, where, what is that peace that is on you? How do I get me some of that? <laughs> that we would be able to comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from you. Yeah, we bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We put you back in the center, back in your rightful place. You are our comforter. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you just take a sec to hug on one another, love on one another, pray for one another. And in particular, if anything, if God's been doing stuff in you tonight, um, just share it with someone. Um, or if there's something that's still undone, just say, hey, can you pray for me in this? I got somewhere, maybe I got somewhere, but I just don't feel like it's done. So bless you, go love on each other, pray for each other. Love you guys. <laughs>